Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Jared, thanks for getting the lights. Um, you know, it's exciting to see what, what God is doing around the world. You know, the same God moving in Czech is the same God moving here. Uh, when uh, even first service I pointed out, what stuck out to me in those videos is where they started in the two countries and then it just kind of spread. You know, God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Uh, and that's God moving. It's not just people, uh, but God works through his people, not around him. So God had a vision for that area and still does. And he's using people that say yes. And God has a vision for our area. I mean, God pursues people. Maybe you can relate to that. You were pursued by God. Maybe you're here. You haven't said yes to Jesus yet. Let me tell you, God's pursuing you. That's partly why you're here today. Um, and God uses his people. He uses his church. Uh, we are excited. We signed the papers Friday for our new building. Yes. So thank you for your generosity. And again, God is moving. And it's not about a building. It's about serving this city. Um, raise your hand if you were involved, not to put anybody on the spot, but you know, putting you on the spot, if you uh, moved trash this morning. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah. Quite a group over here served down at Indian Hills, handed out eight dozen donuts, went through four carafes of coffee. Um, you know, it seems like a small thing, but it's not. It's, it's a blessing to that community as they're taking their trash to this area. These folks showed up in the name of Jesus and just helped um, and just served. So that's why we're here. We're here to serve. And as people ask, you know, what's different about you? We get to point them to Jesus. Uh, let me pray. Lord, thank you that you were at work. Thank you that we don't have to fabricate anything. Uh, thank you that our main job is to follow you, not to be creative on our own, not to do hard work on our own, but our main job is to follow you and participate in what you already have planned to do. Uh, and I pray that we would be efficient and that we would, be, we would do well at listening to you, do well at following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, turn to Ephesians, please. If you are using one of these Bibles and they're in the seat in front of you or under your own seat, grab one. We're going to be on page 1080-1080. But as you, you turn there, I have a question. Why are you here? Now, I'm not meaning like, why do you exist in this super ethereal sense? I mean, like, why are you here at Common Ground today? If, if you call this church home, why? If you call another church home, why? You know, maybe you're visiting and, and why are you here? Now, maybe I'll share a little bit of my story, and maybe you can relate. I think I went through a few phases of church attendance. First, I went because I had to. Uh, Mom and Dad made me. If I could fake sick and not go, I would. Um, when I did go, I counted all the tiles in the roof. So if I was like 10 years old, I could tell you how many tiles there were. in the. I mean, that's, that's what I did. I went because I had to. Maybe that's you. Maybe Mom and Dad drug you here. Um, not a show of hands. Don't look at them. You know, maybe a husband or a wife. You know, you're here because they want you to. You kind of feel like you're supposed to. Uh, maybe it's religious reasons. You think that good people go to church, and so you're here because you have to. Uh, that was kind of the first phase. Now, at some point, something shifted, um, and I started going because I wanted to go because there were people there. There were friends I wanted to see. There were cute girls sometimes that, that I wanted to see. And, and that's not all bad, but, you know, maybe not the best motive for going to church. Uh, but maybe that's you. You go because there's good people here. And by the way, there are great people here. You, you, you know, you come to, to make friends, to see your friends, to hang out. And again, that's, that's not a bad reason to come. But then something happened in my life at some point where I shifted, where I started wanting to go to church to grow. I wanted to hear God's word. 
I wanted to learn the gospel. I wanted to sing. I wanted to grow spiritually. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You come because this is a place where you get to meet with God. And it really is. You know, we've seen already in Ephesians that God exists in his people. So if you come here and maybe you're here the first time, let me tell you, God is here. And I don't mean in some weird sense. God is actually here among us. And, and so he wants to do things in you. Maybe you're here to meet with God, to grow spiritually, to learn some things. That's great. Here's my question. Is that, is that the last stage of being part of a church or going to church? Uh, is going to grow yourself? Something happened to me at one point where I shifted. It was, I was about 23, and I was involved in a church in Moscow, Russia, and it was very transient. A lot of people moving in and moving out, and this, this church was full of all kinds of nationalities. And just because of the makeup of the church and, and, and I came in, there were a lot of needs kind of right then. And I got thrown into teaching adult Bible studies and men's groups and things like that, and I, I, there was a shift that took place in me where I went not just to grow spiritually, but I went to help others grow spiritually. I went to serve. Now, I continued to grow spiritually, and I'll be honest, actually, I grew most in my life by serving than anything else. I grew most by giving. So you continue to grow, but have you made that shift? Has God done that in you yet, where you now look around and you actually maybe take the responsibility for the growth of others? Maybe take the responsibility of the mission of the church that you're actually part of this awesome body, this awesome mission that God has, and you're needed. Well, that's what Paul's talking about today. He's talking about us as servants, you know, why we are part of the church. Now, quick context, we're in, in Ephesians, uh, and this church is made up of Gentiles. They had grown up in a pagan society, worshiping many gods, which were not gods, but they were backed by evil spirits, demons. Um, and that's the way they lived. They felt like they would appeal to this God for this, that God for that. They were very involved in magic. Uh, a lot of these new believers, they, they brought their magic books together and burned them, which in today's dollars would be worth millions, uh, turned the whole city upside down. They now were brought out of this pagan religion brought into Christianity, which was brand new. Only two monotheistic religions in the world at that time, Judaism and now Christianity, which was brand new, and it came out of Judaism. And so they're asking the question, you know, okay, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Now we believe, do we have to become Jews? What does this look like? And so they're kind of asking that question of where do we fit? And so Paul began this book, the first three chapters, all about here's some things you need to know about God and about yourself and about the church. No commands in the first three chapters. Then he moves to chapter 4, and we see how it begins. If you look at 4.1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So now he makes this shift to walking, but this walking, this manner of living in line with him is first based on the first three chapters, who we are. So let's look at that real quick. Pop up all of those all at once, if you would, because um, I'm not going to go through each one individually, but this is who we are in Christ. Wait for it. <laughs> let's put the whole list. There we go. Yeah. So this is who we are in Christ. If you, by faith, have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, this is what you get. You are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are adopted into God's family, given the name of Christ, co-heirs. Uh, third to last, enlightened to God's plan. This is a big deal. 
those who do not know Jesus are still confused. You know, the deep questions of life. Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? What's the purpose of, of all of this? We have those answers. God's plan is all around Jesus. God's plan, he made us for a relationship with him. We broke that relationship with sin. Your mom and dad sinned, so it's their fault. But then you chose to sin, so it's your own fault. And God then sent his son to die for our sins to bring us back into relationship with him. He's coming back. And until then, we're about his business, bringing others to know him, engaged in his body, the church. And ultimately, he's going to return, sum it all up in Jesus. We know the plan. That's a big deal. I mean, we hold that. That's a treasure. You have that. And then the last one is we're united with all of God's people. We now become the church. Now think about this, this first church in Ephesus. They're brought out of this pagan society. They're saved. Now they're put together. Now you are something different. You are God's people. God is present among you like he used to be present in the temple in Jerusalem. Now he's present in you. And he has a mission to seek and save the lost. And it's through you. So they're asking, what does this look like? How does this function? And so now Paul is going to share some of what does that look like, not just us as a group, but us as individuals. You know, he, he was first talking at the beginning of chapter 4 that because of all these things, maintain your unity. Fight for your unity. Your unity is the number one thing I ask of you and I am going to make happen in you. You are united because Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. There's no greater way to ruin a church than to get in and mess up the unity. But now he moves from the whole to you. You know, and I could take a minute and look at each of you. Now he's speaking to each one of you. Now in that whole, here's your role. Here's how you, I have something for you. And so look at verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace was given to each one. You see that? Each one. This is for you. What does he mean by grace? We know by what he's about to say and what he says in others of his writings, by grace here, he's referring to spiritual gifts. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you are given at least one spiritual gift, a unique ability to do something for the benefit of others. And there's several lists in scriptures, uh, teaching, encouragement, mercy, compassion. And we can go through these lists of gifts, but you're given an ability and by the way, I don't believe that they're limited to what we see you know, in Scripture, that there's only a handful and it looks exactly like this. I think we're unique, and each of us has a unique makeup of personality and combination of gifting. So we're kind of like, each of us is a thumbprint. And God has something unique for you. Now, I don't think you can make up a new gift and be like, I have the gift of skipping. I don't know. Uh, you can't do that. But within this, sometimes... We get too narrow by going, oh, it's just, and it looks just like this. But you're gifted. Here's the point. We are all gifted for service. We are all gifted for service. Then look at verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led, host, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is a quote from Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is all about God as a victorious warrior king. And so this, what he's talking about here, he's painting this picture, which is going to help us see what he's talking about after that. But the picture is of a, of a parade of like a Roman triumph. 
And what would happen with a Roman general, other kingdoms did this, a general that, that led this great campaign, conquered a nation or conquered a city, uh, they would take the spoils and then they would have this parade coming back into Rome or whatever their city, and they would come in, and on this parade, the king or the conquering general would be out front riding on a great horse, and in it would be all the soldiers and then the captives, uh, probably naked to humiliate them. But these captives were taken through, and they would go up, and the king would take his seat, and all the, the booty, all the spoil would be brought, and he would dish it out as he saw fit. He would say, great, you know, we won this, you know, Captain so-and-so come here and give him some gifts, and so-and-so, you and you get some gifts. And that's the picture. He would then give the spoil out. The picture here is of Jesus as the conquering king, which he is. That Jesus came to earth, God took on flesh, he, he battled the enemy. By the way, no human is ever our enemy. Scripture's clear, our battle is against flesh and blood. Demons, uh, the, the devil, and they are here to lead people astray and away from God. Well, Jesus came, conquered them on the cross, dying on the cross. He won the great victory over sin and death. Satan, who thought he was winning a great victory by killing God in flesh, didn't really know that the tables were being turned on him. When Jesus said, it is finished, he said, I came to do what I wanted to do. I came for my purpose, and he paid for our sins. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus paid it. Therefore, we get the free gift of salvation by faith in him. So he wins this great battle, and he is now sitting as king, and he gives gifts. That's the picture. And he gives them as he sees fit. So, Roger, I'm going to give you some of this. Preston, you get some of this. You know, he gives them different to each one of us for the building up of the body. So, here's, we have that picture, and it is a battle. Uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says it this way. He, referring to Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus rescues us. Now look at verse 9 and 10. This is in parentheses in most Bibles because it's kind of a side note. It's a little bit a step aside from his main point. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, there's some different ways to read this, and, and different ones can all be legitimate. But here's the main point. He who ascended is he who descended. Jesus is God in flesh. At one point, before he died, he went from God and took on flesh. He descended to the earth, became a man. I think Paul wants us to remember this is who Jesus is. This is who the king is, God who took on flesh. He died, and then he ascended back into heaven. Now, there's some other ways to read that, and if you want to go dig into that and research, they're kind of interesting and kind of exciting, uh, but his main point isn't that. It's that here's who Jesus is. He came, he won the battle, and now he set up the church, us, as his body to continue to carry out his mission, which Kevin talked about very well, his mission to go make disciples, to seek and save the lost, to invite others in, but as we go, we maintain our unity and we each have a role. So what does the church look like? And he's going to now describe the leadership of the church, kind of the organization of the church. Again, you may say I'm, I'm anti-organized religion, and I would say I kind of am too. Uh, the church is, has really tainted a lot of things, but yet we kind of need to be organized. I mean, look at what, what Kevin and Daniela and Josiah Venture has done. That takes some organization. It takes some people with some vision and some leadership and, and putting it together and recruiting and growing. Well, it's the same with us. 
And we're here to change this city. We're here to change this state. Guess what? We need a plan. We need to be organized to do it, and this is what he's talking about. So look at verse 11. Here he makes a little bit of a shift. He does talk about this grace, this gifting, but he's now going to refer to four gifts, four individuals that are given to the body as leaders. And he says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Four roles. We're going to look at those. The first one, apostle. The word apostle means sent one. It primarily refers to the, the 12 apostles, the first 12. Uh, and these 12 were those who walked with Jesus, who learned from Jesus, who saw him ri risen from the dead, who learned from him before he ascended. These are the 12 apostles who had uh, the privilege to write scripture. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote our New Testament. Now, nobody like that exists anymore. We, we don't believe in a pope-like figure or, or an apostle-like figure that can come and say, hey, I have new revelation from God that's different from Scripture. That doesn't exist anymore. The canon of Scripture is closed with the book of Revelation, which was written by the apostle John, who was the last one to live. He was an old man when he wrote it. Done. It's closed. Nobody else can have I have something new that's different. Mormonism. Somebody came along and went, I have something new, and it is totally different than this. It's clear that does not exist anymore. There are no apostles. Our foundation, this is in your notes, for what is true about all things is Scripture. So many would argue that this right here, this gift to the church now, is shown in Scripture. And I would say the foundation for all our belief is this. This is why we spend so much effort on Sundays teaching this, because this is the authority. I am not. If I say anything other than what's in here, you should walk out and maybe take some people with you. This is the authority. But now, this role of apostle, guess what? In today's day, there is a role that fills this. Apostle means sent one. And in the New Testament, there are several others that are given this title referred to other than those who wrote Scripture, other than the 12, Barnabas being one of those. And this role, apostle sent one, would be somebody like a... a church planting missionary or a church planter. Somebody who catches the vision for the gospel moving forward and, and takes those steps kind of to, to cut new ground, to go start something new. We need these people. At Common Ground, our dream, our vision is to see churches in each community growing in Christ, worshiping Him and serving that community. You know what that's going to take? People, apostle-like figures willing to go, willing to leverage all that they are, their family, their money, their houses, their jobs to go start something new. We're going to need those people. Maybe that's you. Show of hands because I'm looking for them. Okay, we'll find you. But we need these people. Here's the second one. You, so you see why apostle, that role is still important. The second one is uh, prophets. Now, we can get a little bit goofy on this one, prophets. And in you know, our current day and age, some in the church do get goofy with this prophet. As in, I get a message from the Lord for you. And I've had people say, they've come in here, I have a message from God for your church. I'm like, I've never met you. You cannot get up on stage today. Uh, that's, that's not what a prophet is. A prophet is somebody who hears from God. And in the Old Testament, sometimes they would say, here's what's coming in the future, a foretelling. But mostly a prophet would foretell, not a foretell, not predict, sometimes. Mainly it was, here's what God has to say. And so that was very important in the early church, and it's still important. 
A prophet, again, truth is found in Scripture. This is somebody, and again, we don't really use this word because it, it carries all these weird things and these other ideas. But in your group, I hope you're in a small group, in an outpost group, but in your group, this is the person, when you start sharing about life, like I'm going through this, my husband, he's doing this and this and this, and I don't know what to do and whatever, they're the person that goes, oh, God has a great plan for you and your marriage. He wants you to be healthy, and, and they can turn right into Scripture. Here's what God says about that. And when these people you know, hear your life, take it to Scripture, you get a glimpse of truth. You get an idea of, oh, that's, this is a message from God for me, mainly found in Scripture. Yeah, I've, I don't know if I have this gifting, but I've seen God use this in my life. Again, when I was in Moscow, and I remember being in this men's group, uh, all these different beliefs, and somebody shared something so off the wall. And God gave me a scripture in the Old Testament, something super obscure. I had maybe read once when I was a kid, and I was able to turn right to it. I'm like, huh, flip, 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 boom. Here's what God says about that. And, you know, and they kind of had that light bulb go on and, and totally changed their thinking because they believed in the Bible. So this is, this is that role of prophet. You see why we need people like this also, taking scripture, applying the truth to us. The next one, what do we see? Evangelists. These are those weird extroverts that, that uh, they're super excited about Jesus and they want to tell everybody how to get to know Jesus. These people are, are good. Now, there are some people who claim to be evangelists that are not good and they should just be quiet. But the ones that are gifted with this, they are ones that understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and want people to understand it. They don't want to beat people with it. They'll build relationships with people and get to know, and then be able to articulate, I hear about your life. Guess what? Jesus is the answer. You're struggling with th these things. You're looking for truth. Jesus is the answer. He came. He died on the cross for your sins. You can find life in him, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace, you have been saved. All you have to do is believe, repent, and turn to him. And these people can articulate it in a, in a way that people understand, don't feel beaten down, but are loved. Uh, these people also have a passion for it. So these are the ones that a lot of times we make, we don't like them in church because they make us uncomfortable. Because uh, in church, they're like, hey, when are we going to go tell other people about this? Like, it's great that we're together, but what about those people and those people? Hey, we should go serve those people and share the gospel. And a lot of us church people are like, I'm just kind of, this cushion is comfy. I want to stay right here. These people, so you see there's kind of a rub between these people and the rest of the church. But we need these goofballs. But you, you see, what, what is their role as you read through that in, in 12? It's to equip the saints for the work of service. So if you're an evangelist, if this is you, the role of these is to help teach us how to share the gospel. Not just teach us and show us, but to give us a little bit of a kick. They'll make us uncomfortable in a good way. Like, hey, who's in your life that needs to hear this good news? You should go tell them. Can I help you go tell them? Can I teach you how to? I mean, we need these people as well. What's the last one? Pastors and teachers, and really this is one role. It's rolled into one, a pastor-teacher. A pastor is a, a shepherd. That's what the word means, a shepherd-teacher. This is somebody who, who leads uh, by teaching, but also by, by going ahead. Um, a lot of times we make the mistake in, in the church, too, of pastors or ministry people are, you know, we just teach, and then you, you go do. I don't do the ministry. I get to hide in my little church bubble. Um, but really, a, a pastor is a shepherd, and shepherds, they went ahead of their flock, and the flock followed. They would take them to pasture and take them to water. That's what shepherds are supposed to do, not go, I'm going to teach you some things. Now, you guys go, go do it. 
they actually go ahead and do it themselves as well. And hopefully, I hope you look at the leadership here and go, they're doing it, and I want to be like that. And that's part of that, but it's also teaching. And, and again, we come back to Scripture. You see this theme here in Scripture. This pastor, teacher, someone who takes the Word, like I'm doing right now, and tries to help you understand it and apply it. That's what a pastor, teacher does. A pastor, teacher is passionate that others will not only understand the Word, not just head knowledge, but that it will change their lives. I mean, that's been a theme today already. Life change. Jesus changed my life. This is what a pastor, teacher does. We need these people as well. But why do these leaders exist? Look back at these at these verses, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Leaders exist to equip others to serve. We have made a big mistake in the church, and as a pastor, I apologize on behalf of the church. We've made a mistake in that many times professional Christians, pastors, missionaries, do the work and work hard and kind of Hoard the fun. I mean, doing the ministry is a lot of fun, and we're all called to do it. You know, the average church size in the United States is about 80 people. Do you know why? One reason, it's not the only reason, but one reason is that's about how many people one person can serve if they work really hard. And so pastors of these churches are worn out because they're doing it all. People come and they're like, hey, we should do this. Okay, let's do that. Hey, this person's sick. You should go visit them. And they're just working themselves to the bone. If you'll notice, that's not what we do here. Um, really, people will come and tell me, hey, I think we should do this. I'd be like, that sounds great. You should go do that. <laughs> How can we help you do that? Well, and sometimes it's, well, I mean, this happened actually just in the past couple of weeks, and it's super exciting. She's not here now, so I can talk about her. <laughs> she was in the first service. But, but she says, I have this idea uh, you know, for, for an art ministry. I'm like, great. Write up what that would look like. Huh? Yeah, go dream. Huh? She did. And now we're, I mean, it's super, that's the way it works. And so you get ideas and hopefully we as leadership help you make those happen, make those real. We exist to equip because we're all called to do the ministry, all of us, not just a couple professionals. You are gifted for service. You are gifted. And again, maybe you're thinking as you're, you're listening to this, well, there's only so many roles on Sunday. You know, there's one person up there teaching. You know, there's only a handful up here leading worship. There's more, you know, actually, positions and, and needs than you realize. That room over there has a, a I mean, super important. Um, but most of this, let me tell you, most of the, this gifting and this building up of the body isn't used on a Sunday. We gather to worship on a Sunday. We gather for, for this, to study the Bible. Most of this is going to take place outside those doors, meaning we got to get in relationships with one another out there. That's why we emphasize groups so much. It's within those groups that your gifting will come out and you will be used for the benefit of others. Now, how long do we do this? I mean, do, how long do we do this? Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We do this until we're all mature. That's what it's saying. Until everybody in the body is growing in maturity. By the way, we will never arrive. You know what I mean? If you think you've arrived, you, you're not even close. 
we know, we know we're all still on the grow until Jesus returns. So it's not like, you know, we have this picture and churches do this too. There's a temptation. Here's what maturity looks like, you know, and so everybody let's aim for this. And then we can all just pretend to look like that and then we're great. Um, rather, we recognize we're all still on the grow. But the goal is the maturity of the whole, meaning everybody. The evaluation of a church is the growing maturity of the whole. You see how this changes from the responsibility is my growth. I want to grow. It's about me to actually, it's about all of us. You know, is everybody here growing? Are those around me growing? It's not just about me anymore. It's the whole. And this is where you see the shift. We actually take responsibility for one another. In love, we come alongside and serve and grow each other. Look at, I'm going to skip forward a little bit, but verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look at that. When each part, what did we say each part is? It's you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not, you're getting a glimpse behind the curtain as to what God's plan is for his church. And you can get in on, on this awesome stuff. Just bow the knee to Jesus and he wants you to. But each one of us, as we, look there at that last verse, as we are working properly, makes the body grow, building itself up in love. So we play our part in love for the maturity of the whole. Now, we're going to close with just four things. What does this maturity look like? So, so what is the goal if we want each of us to mature and we're only as good as our weakest link? Maybe you've heard that. Um, and ideally, we continue to grow and more people are coming in and finding Jesus, meaning we're starting over frequently with people, hopefully, you know, and, and continuing that growing process. But what does that maturity look like? What's our goal? Flip back, verse 13. Until we all, so everybody, attain to the unity of the faith. That's the first one. Unity of the faith meaning we have a correct understanding of the truth. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking here about head knowledge, right belief about Jesus, right belief about God and his plan, the unity of the faith. We talked about this some last week. There are some things that are central to, to who we are, and there are some things that are secondary. Central, it's about Jesus. You can be saved through Jesus alone, nobody else. That's central. The Trinity, although we don't fully understand it, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's central. That the, that the mission is God in and through His church. That's central, secondary. You know, how does God's sovereignty align with our free will? We could talk about it, but we don't need to make, you know, that central, and often churches are divided over that one topic right now, often. That's secondary. When is Jesus returning? Oh, <laughs> That's secondary. Again, Let's learn those things. That's great. But keep the secondary, secondary, but a unity of the faith. The Bible is the truth. And God is mysterious. There's a lot we won't understand. But God has revealed a lot that we can understand and we should try. Unity of the faith. Second one. What does he say there? And of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is, this is cool because this is not head knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. That word knowledge, uh, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. That's not this word. This word is epinosis. It means uh, knowledge gained through experience uh, and relationship. The goal is that we all have a relationship with Jesus that is growing, an experiential knowledge. Again, you can learn about riding a bike, but you don't know about riding a bike. Really, you don't know riding a bike until you go ride a bike, until you learn how to balance it. I mean, it's an experiential knowledge of riding a bike. That's what he's talking about here, that we should have this not, We know God. God is not just out there, you know, created us, sent us, and back. We are made to be in intimate relationship with him. Jesus said eternal life is this, that you know the Father in Jesus Christ whom he has sent, that we know him, meaning we can all answer the question, what is God doing in your life right now? What is God working on you? I don't know, I just go to church. No, God is doing some things in you. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. We have a knowledge, an experiential knowledge of God. And again, I want to point out, we do this in community. How can we learn this experiential knowledge about God? When you're having maybe marriage problems, not a show of hands, and you're in a group, guess what? There might be other couples that have gone through that too. And they can go, you know what? Here's what God did with us. Here's how God helped us. And we can gain this experiential knowledge of, okay, we learn from what they're saying in, in the Bible. Now let's experience God walking through relationships with us, walking through tragedy with us, walking through relational or, or financial problems. Maybe you've had those. You know, walking through these things, and we learn from experiences. We walk in faith that God shows up, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We learn that he's trustworthy. What's the, la the next one? Not the last one, the next one. To a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ-likeness. That's the goal, Christ-likeness. That's a big goal. I mean, that encompasses so much. That's a purity of thinking, a purity of action. That's a love for God's people, a love for the church. That's a heart for the lost. We want to become like Jesus. That's the goal. To become like Jesus, this, the Bible calls this process sanctification, to where he gets rid of our fleshliness and selfishness, and we get more and more of Christ, that we love what God loves and hate what God hates. That's this process. And so again, that's part of the goal. And then the last one is that we are effective and stable in the world. We saw that in verses 14 through 16. You know, we're not tossed to and fro. We don't hear this this wrong idea over here, this wrong doctrine, and go, oh, that sounds good. You know, or our world says, just do whatever makes you happy. And we hear that and go, yeah, I should just be happy. No. You know, we're not tossed to and fro. Oh, everybody can believe what they want to believe, and all things are true, and all roads lead to heaven. No, that's not true. And we're not swayed by these worldly thinking. We're stable. Jesus is our anchor. We know Scripture. We're united together. We can walk through this together. We're stable, and we're effective. I mean, our mission is to seek and save the lost. We exist, we say at Common Ground, to expand the kingdom of God and our lives and the world around us. We're committed to that mission. We're going and we're doing it together. We're effective. That's the goal. So let me ask, why are you here? How did you answer that? Again, your personal growth is awesome, but you grow best when you're serving. And, and let me say this real quick. If you're not there yet and you're like, you know, I want to be there. I do want to be used. I, I, I want to figure out where I fit in the body. 
the best way is not to think about it. The best way is just to jump in. You know, how, how do you teach a kid to learn how to swim? Throw them in the deep end. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best way. But, but part of figuring it out is just jumping in there, jumping in groups, jumping in relationships, trying things out. Because the best way is once you start doing things, God will give you opportunities that align with, with your passions and things you're, you just happen to be good at. And then others, as you're doing it in community, others will go, hey, I noticed this about you. Hey, you're good at this. Hey, when you did this for me, it made a difference. Without those relationships, we'll never find that out. So that's why this week in groups, this is what we're talking about. Not rooted because we're doing something else. If you're unrooted, do this on your own. But, but in our other groups, we're going to take a, a spiritual gifts inventory. Uh, we're going to write a personal mission statement. This is not an excuse for you to skip this week because you have homework. Go to group, and then when you get in group, you can share, I see this in you, and I see this in you. And when you do this, things go better. That's why we are in community and in groups. And you can go to the info table. Susie's back there right now. And you can get in a group this way and figure out, at least talk about where do we fit in this because we each have a part. You, you're valuable. You're important. And we need you to be all that God has us to be. Now, if you don't know Christ, you know, we're going to respond now in a time of worship. We're going to take communion. Uh, this is a time for you to give your life to Christ. We're going to have people available in the back to pray. Go see them. They'll pray with you. You can learn what it means to follow Jesus. For the rest of us, uh, come up and take communion, remembering what Jesus has done for us, his death and his resurrection. We remember this. We do this until he comes again. This is a time to confess sin, to see where we're at. And I would say as we respond, examine are you serving in the church? What would God have you to do? What are your next steps? Uh, and if you don't know, Susie knows. And you can go see her after the service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your mission. Thank you that we are saved and given a purpose. We, we're brought into a body. Um, and, and we're not all just the weird uncle or the, the, the distant cousin. But we're all in this family together. Uh, we're united. I mean, what, what a blessing it is to be put into this family, not because we're special, uh, not because you know, we've earned it, but because you've put us together. And I pray that you would use us for your glory. Help us to find where we fit to fulfill our role for what you would have us do, again, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.